listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of the Savior Community Church in Rockland County, New York. To learn more, go to SaviorCC.com. We're in James chapter 1, starting verse 19. Now, I've got something we're sort of uh, in between series, but I've got something uh, sort of special. I wouldn't call it a series, but... Uh, a few messages that do have a thread uh, for me. Things that are just uh, specific passages that are very important to me personally that I've found challenging and helpful over the years and uh, particularly in terms of um, uh, ministering to people and doing ministry and and what what has driven me over the years in serving God and preaching His Word. Uh, Several texts that have been precious to me. One of them is James chapter 1 verse 25. Where James writes this, the one who looks in, into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being uh, no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he does. And um, I think that that's one of those verses where uh, it has this center of energy and power and potential that's not often uh, brought out. That it's, it's not just a passage that commands, it's not just a verse that commands us, it's a verse that empowers us and shows us the potential power that's right there for us in God's Word. And it, this is, in fact, this whole passage is one of those passages that I think is often held with a, a sort of a, a, a lifeless sense of duty instead of a deep Holy Spirit-empowered sense of enabling from the Lord to live life a certain way. And uh, that's one of the reasons verse 25 and this whole passage in context is so powerful to me. Uh, where, where James brings out for his readers, and some of you will remember, man, a long, I mean, we're, we're talking long ages ago, almost none of you were here when we did this. We, we did a detailed study of the entire letter of James. One of the things we learned was uh, James writes in a way that's almost... Uh, it's like each passage is its own little episode that are, or own little collection of, of small sermons that aren't that easily connected to one another. And this passage that we're looking at is one of them. And here James is exhorting his readers. And you could, you could almost imagine this as like an outline of a sermon that James would have preached uh, to one of the churches that he was uh, uh, ministering to, to the church in Jerusalem. And of course with James we have uh, an interesting character in church history, him being um, Mary and Joseph's son. And so he's Jesus' half-brother, so, which means his childhood was awful because Jesus was his big brother. Could you imagine the kind of rivalry that you would have had with your big brother Jesus? Uh, it's, just, it's just unthinkable, you know? You know, you knock a kid down on the playground, your mom's yelling at you and Jesus heals him. It's just the worst. Mom, mom cooks something lousy for dinner and Jesus just like makes a pizza appear. It's just, everybody liked Jesus better than James. There's no doubt about it. So, it's all in the Apocrypha. Um, I made that up. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but in this message though, and my, my title, and I do have the slides today. I blamed Josh last time, but it's my fault. Uh, this title, it's a little bit funny, but it's, it's just the best one I could come up with. Today's title is Open Your Bible, but there's an exclamation mark there. So it's Open Your Bible. 
right? It's, it's, it's an it's a exhortation uh, that opening our Bible would be a way of life for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And what we find in the New Testament is that in the earliest days of the church, and James is one of the earliest letters in the New Testament, I, I, I forget, you know, sometimes I forget my Bible trivia kind of knowledge, but it, it may be the first epistle ever written, uh, some of the earliest material in the New Testament, if not the earliest material in the New Testament. And from the earliest days of the preaching of the gospel, it was understood that the people of God are nourished and empowered when they come to God's word for wisdom, for insight, for truth. And that it's not just uh, truth that uh, instructs and sets our minds straight and teaches us uh, which principles that, uh, that we should believe, which precepts that we should adopt and obey, but it's truth that the Spirit of God takes and uses in our lives to bring personal transformation. And so there really is no powerful, fruitful Christian life apart from developing a habit of opening the Bible as part of your life's pursuits and disciplines. And it comes in lots of ways. Um, I, I was set free, well, helped, I should say, by, by uh, something I read in a book years ago. I used to talk to people about Bible study or Bible memorization or, you know, whatever it is. And one guy, he wrote a book about spiritual disciplines. He just called it Bible Intake. And I thought, there it is. There's a phrase that talks about all the things that we do to take in the Bible. It, it, it points to the need for being part of a, a, a Christian community, dedicated to a Christian community, a local church, where we take the Bible in, where the Bible's treasured, where the Bible is, um, where the Bible is submitted to as the authoritative Word of God. It points to the need for personal Bible study, that we would be constantly bringing the Word of God into our souls. It, it, it points to the helpfulness of modern things, like listening to good Bible teaching on radio or podcasts or whatever that uh, we can get. It points to, to the helpfulness that, that a, a, a good Bible app should have a nice place on our homepage on our phone or whatever, or whatever it is that we're using. That taking in the Bible is transformational. And here in James, we have the seeds of that kind of thinking, that if you would open the Bible, and the thing I love is James, he uses rich words that, are, that have imagery associated with them that helps us see the, not only the act of taking in biblical content, but the posture and purpose. That should have been my points. Posture, purpose, power. It's a three-point sermon. See, I've been doing this a long time, and I had to do it like that. It's It's amazing. Uh, let's, let me change my posture, purpose. <laughs> no, those weren't, I wasn't smart enough to do that when I was working on this. But um, he talks about the posture that we take in looking at the Word of God and the power that the Word of God has in our lives when we take that approach to the Bible, that it will transform us. And so my exhortation to you in this little self-contained message here is open your Bible. And I want to talk from James 1.19. Uh, through 27 about three things that opening your Bible will do in your life. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I never want to sort of just preach a sermon or anything like that, but, you know, they're all special because they're the Word of God. But in, in, on a personal note, you know, this is special in that uh, this is one of those messages that sort of uh, I'm sharing with you something that got a hold of my life earlier in my life and has had a tremendous impact on me. 
that as a Christian, I've always understood that you should read your Bible. But when I began to understand that within the words of the Bible and that when we, are, when we expose our lives to the Bible, <laughs> that's the thing. When, when, when you're in the Word of God, you're not just, you're not just getting uh, exposure to the Bible. You are being exposed to the Bible. The Bible's, the Bi- and we're talking about what God does w- with it, with the Word of God. You're giving God an opening into your life to get in there and mess around with things, whether you want them to or not. And that's what that posture's, uh, posture's about. When we come and receive the Word of God in meekness, that is in humility, uh, bowing down before God as it were as in, in our hearts as we take in these words, uh, we're giving God a chance to get in there and do things. I find time and again... Um, man, you know, doesn't matter how many times. I mean, I, I've come to passages of Scripture. I mean, this happened just this week looking at this passage, you know. Uh, it come, come to something, and it's something that I have already in the past uh, analyzed at a, at a high level and taught to other people in detail. And then I come back to it year, two, three, five years later, and it's like I never heard that before. My life, my, my life is absent from that idea, or my life is needing to have, be refreshed in that concept once again. And you know, what is that? It's, it's, it's so powerful that it's the kind of thing that, that we need fresh exposure to over and over again. I was reading, uh, someone was writing a comment. It was, uh, you guys know I make knives. It was, someone was talking about, uh, certain kinds of steel and the heat treat process that they require in order to uh, be effective cutting tools. And someone was talking about a guy in the industry who's just sort of universally respected. And somebody said, that guy's forgotten more about steel than the rest of us know. Right? That old saying. And we sort of say that jokingly. But that's actually really, really true when you're dealing with people who, 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 who develop an expertise in something. And that'll be true for you if you develop an expertise in the Word of God. I mean, unless you're one of these photographic memory people that nobody likes. (laughs) But what you'll find over time is, if you're really in the Word of God, you'll you'll never have a sense that you know it all, even if you've covered it all one way or the other. What you will get a sense of is that you need constant refreshing in the truth because it's so powerful. There's so so much wisdom. So much. It's it's not that it's so complicated that you shouldn't approach it. That's the wrong way to think. It's that it's so rich that you can't keep on, you can't keep a lid on it. You can't keep all of that truth in. It's bursting with wisdom. It's bursting with mercy. It's it's bursting out of your life. And so it's a matter of constantly being refreshed in truths that maybe you've looked at before, but maybe you're ready to receive them in a whole new way today that you haven't received them in the past or that you need refreshing on. See what I'm saying? So it's, it's not something that's so complicated or difficult that you shouldn't bother with it. It's something so rich that it should constantly be flowing through your life. And really, isn't that just a picture of what God is like? He is a personal being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so profound in his being that our relationship with him never has a practical reason for stagnation. It often does stagnate, we know that, but that's something wrong with us, not something wrong with him, right? There's, there's no reason to be bored with God. There's no reason to be bored with his word. Uh, what we find is sometimes is our hearts grow cold to the rich things that are to be found in relationship with him. And so... Uh, this passage 
has a, 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 an antidote to that, has, has a powerful message for each one of us. So let's look at it. Open your Bible! That's how it's, you have to say it because it's got an exclamation point. <laughs> I picture just shaking someone. So if you've got a problem today, I want you to imagine Jesus just taking you by the shoulders and looking at you lovingly, but a little scary. You know, he's got a beard. He's got sort of a 70s hippie thing going on. He grabs you by the shoulders. He goes, open your Bible. That's his answer. That's it, right? At least he, he's going to say he loves you and he died for you and all that stuff. But at some point, he's going to grab you by the shoulders and, 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 and say, open your Bible. And you're going to smell, you know, like, like, his, like he's right there in your face. <laughs> okay, verse 19. First point, open your Bible to produce righteous reflexes. Righteous reflexes. All right, like that? Righteous reflexes. Let's see where we get that from. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Look at that. James looks at the word of God as something that's capable of saving our souls. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. It might not mean exactly uh, what, what you, you think of it is, but let's, let's go through these verses. First thing he says, he says, know this, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. The idea of being quick to hear is that we would develop an impulse toward listening instead of an impulse toward speaking or toward anger. Uh, one of the most basic graces that any person can have is to learn how to listen and take in what people are saying to them, right? I mean, that's just a, a common thing. Everybody wants someone else to be a good listener, right? Well, what we find is that that grace is also a biblical command. He says, quick to listen, quick to hear. Um, and, and he's contrasting it with being slow to speak and slow to anger. And then we see what's really on his mind is, uh, comes to us in verse 22, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So James is uh, addressing some particular issue in their community. They've got angry Christians in their community. And he's saying, listen, <laughs> if you receive the word of God, your first response in every situation isn't going to be to bring the anger. And here's the thing. This may seem like a little out of left field for James to talk about this, but there is this interesting phenomenon that happens. You have sinful people taking in the flawless, holy, righteous word of God, and we stand on it with a sense of profound confidence. It's the word of God. It's, it's authority beyond human authority. And sometimes when we think we have the most righteous response because we're standing on the word of God, we actually have twisted it into an unrighteous response and we respond with a kind of what seems like a righteous anger. And James is saying, listen, a righteous reflex to information being given to you is to hear with grace, to listen, to receive, to take in. And the, the interesting thing, he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so what he's saying here, if we don't have sort of biblically refined, mercy, grace, saturated impulses, Bible-saturated impulses, Christ-saturated impulses, grace-saturated impulses, we won't produce righteousness. Now, I, I don't know off the top of my head if he's talking about producing righteousness from the listener or producing right, righteousness in the life of the other person, the object of your listening. 
it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> it's going to produce righteousness. And then he follows that up. Well, I, I'll do this first. This is a quote from uh, a New Testament scholar, Douglas Moo. He writes this, Uncontrolled anger leads to uncontrolled speech. How often do we find ourselves regretting words spoken, quote, in the heat of the moment? The wise person, and James, by the way, you could say James is like New Testament wisdom literature. Wisdom literature has a certain, it's a, it's a genre of literature, especially like, I mean, not just Hebrew literature, but ancient Near Eastern literature, uh, ancient world literature. And James falls into that category in a lot of places in a lot of ways. Like Proverbs is the classic biblical um, example of wisdom literature. It's wisdom that impart, it's literature that imparts wisdom to its reader. And wisdom literature has different characteristics. For one thing, wisdom literature should usually not be approached with wooden literalness, right? So for example, James says the anger of man doesn't produce righteousness of God. Well, sometimes there is a place for anger and it's righteous and it's the only response to something. So you could take James and stretch his words to places where they don't belong and now it's not helpful anymore, right? And so uh, learning what the word of God says uh, often means sitting back with a sense of uh, uh, peace and trying to hear what it means, right? So in this case, uh, we have this bit of wisdom literature. Here's what, here's what Moose says. He says, The wise person, James reminds us, will therefore learn to control the emotion of anger and so eliminate one of the most common sources of hasty, unwise speech. Psychologists will sometimes claim that emotions, since they are a natural product of personality, cannot truly be controlled, only suppressed or ignored. But James' exhortation here, and many similar biblical exhortations, presume differently. Do you hear that? He's saying modern psychology says in some places that emotions can't be controlled. They can at best be suppressed and ignored. And yet the Bible is constantly commanding us to change our emotional profile. It's constantly calling us through submission to God's word, through prayerful repentance, to change the way our emotions work. And I'm not saying that's not challenging, but we go against the Bible if we say it's not possible or practical. It can, it's certainly challenging. It's certainly something that's going to require uh, uh, grace and confidence that God can make it happen, but it's not going to be something that is necessarily uh, uh, impossible. He goes on, emotions are the product of the entire person. That's a wise statement. Your emotions are the product of the entire person. And so if we say our emotions can't be uh, changed or, or transformed in any way, then we're saying the person can't be changed or transformed, aren't we? And as Christians, we have to reject that. God is all about transforming us. So he continues, emotions are the product of the entire person, and by God's grace, the work of the Spirit. The per by God's grace and the work of the Spirit, the person can be transformed so as to bring emotions in line with God's word and will. And so let me tell you how to use that truth. Okay? Here's how to use that truth in a gracious way. You apply it to yourself hope with hope. Saying, God can change me, God can transform me, God can turn me into a new person. And have the hope that says, I may not be there today, but because of what I find in the gospel, I know I can be tr transformed progressively to be the kind of person that the Word of God calls me to. Here's how not to use it. 
uh, use it as a battering ram to reject other people's emotions or beat them up when they're not responding the way you want them to respond. <laughs> That's not helpful and not gracious. And you know, in fact, that would be responding in anger. So it would be a direct violation of what James is teaching us here. Verse 21, uh, 20 and 21 have some powerful things. Verse 21, therefore, put away. Put away all filthiness. That is, um, I wrote a note in my Bible. I can't read my handwriting. Oh, rid oneself. Let me say, put away. I wrote this note so I would never be without it while I have this Bible. I can't even read my writing. <laughs> so he's saying, put away. That is, that is, with the Word of God, use the Word of God in prayer, in the presence of God. We want to remember this is a dynamic process. When we're talking about transforming, being transformed, we're always talking about a dynamic process. That means it's not just learning words. It's not just prayer. It's not just journaling our feelings or whatever other thing we want to bring to that table. It's a dynamic, personal process that fully involves us and fully involves God. And involving God includes prayer and His Word. And so there's, there's, this part, there's the part of us submitting to it, praying through it, uh, submitting our will to God with our words, Getting to the place where we recognize even not only the things we want to do, but recognizing the ten barriers between what I want to do and what I'm actually currently willing and able to do. Right? <laughs> so that we're, we're plowing through some of the difficulties in prayer. Reaching out to God that He would pull us through some of these difficulties that, that, that are there. So therefore, put away, that is, rid yourself of all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, a uh, couple of words I want to touch on. He says, he says there, to put away, that is to rid oneself. It means to reject a life of sin and filth. There's plenty of filth in our world for us to, to play in. He says reject it. We renounce our old life of sin and stop playing around with it. It means we see sin and flee from it. It means we confess and repent of sin daily before the Lord and constantly as we see it in our lives. It's about seeing sin as sinful and thus stripping it off, ridding ourselves of it. Then my note says, as if a bird pooped on your shoulder and a spider crawled in your sleeve. Strip it off and burn it. <laughs> I don't remember, right? That's funny. But that's a good picture, right? So you got poop and a spider in your sleeve, right? What are you going to do with that thing? You're going to lose your mind. You're going to be tearing it off and stomping on it, right? You, why? You can't have that on you. It's horrifying. You've got to get it off. In fact, just this morning, I was standing in the back, and Erica comes in like this. I know that face. She thinks there's a bug on her. <laughs> she came in from outside. She goes, is there a bug on me? <laughs> She's trying to keep her cool while I try to find the bug, right? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> the idea is you need to break with your old life. Break with old sins. And I think sometimes when I say break with your old life, some of us are imagining as if there were a time in the past we should have done that and we didn't do it. Breaking with your old life, you know, I've described it in the past as like the last 10 minutes of an 80s slasher film. Just when you think the monster's dead, his hand starts to twitch, and that's when you're turned around hugging your girlfriend and the police cars are there, right? Uh, like, it's, it's a matter of knowing how the human life works, always being ready to put it down afresh. Now, that's not hopeless, 
that's hopeful. It's the, it's the nature of life. That sin is something that's always seeking to creep back into our lives. Always seeking to drag us into old places that we, we left before. And so we're, we, we, we're not scared or discouraged, but we are vigilant and powerful in the hope that we have to, to mortify uh, sin. Mortify means murder. <laughs> so get killing. <laughs> Like Metallica said, kill them all. It's the anniversary of that record this week, so you can learn things all kinds of places. The next, the next, he talks about corruption and wickedness. He uses this word, which I really like, uh, rampant wickedness, and it it speaks of uh, this is a new word, superfluity. I would say superfluidity, but that's not how it's spelled. Uh, but it's it's surplus, abundance. He says. He says, put away the superfluity of wickedness that's around you and that's in your lives. Isn't that a powerful thought? It's just this sloshing overflow of wickedness that's ever trying to take control of us or maybe has taken control of us. And he's saying, put it away. Like that shirt with the spider and the bird poop on it. Put it away. And then he gets into the part that's very helpful. And this is one of the reasons I love this passage. Verse 21. He says, and, so there's the, the putting away, and I, let, let me uh, sort of outline this for you. His big point is, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he says, therefore, put away all filthiness. So that's, that's the first part. The second part is receive with meekness the implanted word in verse 21. So there's two aspects here. There's the, there's the rejection of sin from within, looking at it as what it is, and actively, deliberately rejecting it for what it is, saying, I don't want it, I don't, I don't love it, I renounce and reject it, I don't want it as part of my life. But then there's this other aspect, of course these things are, are tied together, which is to receive the word. And so James has this idea that the word is there, but we need to actively receive it with meekness. Now, to receive indicates our approval of it, right? That the word is there, and we sort of actively say, this is the truth of God's word. This is what I want to receive. Like some of our readers will read and say, you know, this is God's word or God's word or whatever. It's a good practice. And, and the idea is recognizing what we are reading, that it has God's authority attached to it. And then there's receiving it with uh, uh, meekness is the word translated. Or you could say gentleness or humility. Uh, you've heard me define this word before. This quality, this character trait is defined uh, from, from this, this specific Greek word. It's the quality of not being overly impressed by oneself or one's self-importance. One of the most liberating qualities any human being can develop. The quality of not being overly impressed with oneself or one's self-importance. So think, think of that. James pulls that word out when he says to receive the word. That there's a humility that says, I'm going to submit myself to the Creator's ancient wisdom, knowing that it's transformational. That that's the approach that we take. And so we're humbling ourselves underneath the word of God. Uh, years ago, I used to do these lectures about the nature, uh, about different philosophical approaches to the Word of God. I, I don't remember them all. There were five different approaches. I, I don't even remember the scholar who originally wrote the paper I was working off of, but he talked about like um, 
like theologically liberal Christians stand over the word and judge it. Uh, fundamentalist Christians stand on the word and um, like project it on others. And he said, ideally, evangelical Christians, which is, is the, the rubric we fall under, ideally evangelical Christians will stand under the word in submission to it, which is the posture we want to take. Saying, here's the word of God. We, we stand under its authority, submissive to what God has revealed to us about himself. Now, what is this implanted word that he's talking about? Of course, it, it, you could apply it just to the Bible, right? Anything that we're reading in the word of God. And yet there's, there's sort of a, a rich richness there that we're not just talking about the word of God in general, though it applies. We're talking about the living gospel itself. This message which has come into our lives and has, has begun to transform us. Uh, J Jeremiah talks about the new covenant. And he talks about, God says, I'll put the law within them. I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God. They shall be my people. Ezekiel says, I'll give you, a, God says of the new covenant in Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways, to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my ways. That's the kind of background to James' thinking. That when we read the Word of God, it's not just instructions that need to be followed. It's the powerful Word of God that God has, has put within us for our inner transformation. And as Christians, when we look at the Word that way, that we're, we're coming to the words of the Bible with the Word of the Gospel in us, the Spirit of God in us, and that God told us that that would, that would create a momentum of transformation, personally stirred by the Spirit of God, that would lead to our own freedom and transformation. And so when he says receive the implanted Word, we're talking about this Word that transforms. And then he says it'll save your souls. What's he talking about saving your souls? He's talking about the process of becoming progressively holy more holy and righteous like Jesus, what we would call sanctification. The word written on your heart is the gospel which orients your affections and desires toward God, Christ and righteousness, and away from sin and idolatry. And so it's, 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 um, it's therapeutic, it's healing, it's uh, nutritional for our souls. Second, open your Bible to produce righteous action. Let's look at verse 22. So we want to produce righteous reflexes. We want it to get into us so that we begin to respond in ways that are, that are righteous. But we also want it to produce righteous action. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But... The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer of a who acts, he will be blessed in what he does. So let's look at this uh, first. The, the first um, uh, uh, section, he, he paints this picture of someone who looks in the mirror and walks away, and, and the idea is that interaction with the, the mirror hasn't had any kind of profound uh, impact on the person standing there. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what James has in mind when he talks about a mirror. One, one, one thing that's interesting, ancient mirrors are not like modern mirrors. We're talking about a, a very hazy sort of reflection. And so 
you know, you and I picture looking in a mirror, we're going to see every little thing on our face and, you know, do our hair and all this stuff and, and deal with it. J James is, is probably envisioning something not nearly as bright and helpful, right? Just sort of a foggy reflection of who we are. And you walk away and you forget what you looked like. So he's not speaking into a world where everybody's house is covered in mirrors that show an exact image of the person. That's, that's one helpful part. The other is this. So the word he uses in verse 24, he says he goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. And uh, I had some old notes from way back when I preached on this years ago, and I made up a word, and the word is forglect. <laughs> forglect. Because the word really is a combination of for, forget and neglect. And that's what James has in mind. That it's not only forgetfulness, it's neglect. And so there's, there's two, two parts to this definition of what a person does. And, and let's get away from the mirror in, Im, imagery. The, the idea is you look at the word, you huh, and you walk away. You forget what's there, and you neglect to address what you've seen. There's no, and, and let's not overcomplicate this. There's no pause where we take into our souls and acknowledge what has been revealed in God's word. That's what it means to forget. <laughs> Forget and neglect. And so James is saying, don't be a forgetful person. Forgetful. I'm going to stop saying it. It's, I'm having too much fun with it. Instead, he gives us verse 25, and this is that verse that really inspired me to look at this passage with you today. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, see the difference? He says, looks in, and by the way, he says, looks, it's, it's a word that literally means to bend over for the purpose of looking. And, and it implies satisfying one's curiosity. So you, you have this word, looks into. Well, in James' language, that's a, a sort of a, a word that has a lot of color. It, it, it implies bending over, and it implies curiosity on the part of the reader. Right? Uh, I remember, this is such a weird story, but I, I remember in seminary when you would see the really smart kids, or sometimes like the really smart professors, like the people who are just, they're so smart, they're a little weird. <laughs> and I remember seeing this one guy who was really smart. He had, all of his relatives were like legends at the seminary, right? And he was real bright. He knew like 50 languages and stuff. And uh, he didn't look like anything special. He's just a normal guy, but like I knew, you know? And I remember watching him look at the Bible one day. And, and it was, he was like, it was like he was eating the thing. All right? Like I could see his brain was doing things that my brain doesn't do when I read stuff. And I, I've had friends like that where it's like, they're like, and they make all these connections, and you're like, what's happening in your mind that does that, you know? And uh, <laughs> so James has this idea that you're seeing a person who has a curiosity. But listen, he's not talking about some genius. He's talking about normal people like us. That we would go to the Word of God with a sense of curiosity, trying to, trying to find something in it and bring something out. Can I, can I, I'll say something that... that may help some of you. I hope it doesn't mess some of you up. But uh, it's wonderful to do your read the Bible in 10 minutes plan that you're doing with, you know, like where you hold a drill to your head and you read as fast as you can. Whatever like horrible thing you do to make yourself feel bad. What's more helpful, what may be more helpful at this stage in your life is, is taking small bits in and digesting it. Or maybe you do one in the morning and one at night, right? Make sure that your Bible time, whatever goals you have, 
Make sure it's not like your New Year's resolution to lose 500 pounds or whatever you did, right? Where it's so ridiculous, it's just, it's not going to happen. Much better that you'd understand James chapter 1 or Romans chapter 3 or Romans chapter 6 or Ephesians uh, over the course of a year than that you read through the whole Bible in some blur and now you don't feel as guilty about it. I mean, what are you really accomplishing, right? Accomplish something in your Bible time. And if you do want, you know, I'm encouraging you to read your whole Bible. That's great. But, uh, um, you know, you'll be more impressed than God is <laughs> if, if not, there's nothing yielded from it. And so James describes a person who bends over for the purpose of looking with the focus on satisfying one's curiosity. And I've said this many times. I don't get these definitions from like a book that was written to come up with cute Bible stuff. This is like deep, deep dive scholarly literature. That's what this Greek word means. You know, this isn't like the life application study Bible note that's written to make you like get a sermon out of it. <laughs> this is like, like from like the source. That's what the word means. That there's a curiosity in it. It's, it's the same word that's used of Peter when it says stooping in, he saw the linen cloth lying there but did not go in. A guy looking in a tomb, right? How do you look in a tomb? Like it's no big deal? No, it's horrifying. <laughs> well, it's at least weird, right? Peter looking in what has been reported to be an empty tomb. There's curiosity there. There's hunger for information. There's a recognition that what you're going to see is going to be important. That's the word James uses when he describes our interaction with the scriptures. Figuratively, it means to find something out, to look for it, to investigate something intellectually. And then he refers to it as the perfect law, a reference to Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, I remember this one, Psalm 19.7, where it says the law of the Lord is perfect, the word perfect there. The idea is that it, it's, it's, uh, it covers something completely. It's, it's multifaceted. It covers every aspect of a thing. And what does that do? It revives the soul. James references that likely here. And he refers to it as uh, the law of liberty. I like the new, the, uh, we use the ESV here on Sundays. It's a great Bible translation. In this one case, I really do like the NIV translation. It says this, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. So James, it's literally law of liberty. But the NIV translates it very well there. It's a law that gives free. Think about it. Laws restrict freedom. That's what a law is, right? And yet James is recognizing it's the Torah, it's the teaching, it's the law of the Lord, but it's a law that liberates. When someone takes the binding truth that's to be found in this law, it actually leads to freedom. And James, James is, is pointing the way here that when we look to it, it's transformational. So when one who trusts in Christ, has the Spirit of God within and relies on Him, gets into God's Word, looking to be changed, they are set free from sin. This is one of the primary ways that we present ourselves to God. We've talked about Romans 6, how we reject sin and present ourselves to God to be instruments of righteousness. This is one of the key methods we use to do that. And he says, he talks about persevering in it. That's um, to continue uh, uh, to do it, obviously. He says, this one will be blessed in what he does. So uh, here's, here's a beautiful principle. That if we come to the word of God in meekness, receiving it as the word of God, 
We humble ourselves before it with, with a sense of righteous knowledge of what we're reading and therefore godly curiosity about what it's going to have for us. It leads to our ongoing transformation, which James refers to as being blessed in what we do. So <laughs> the Bible associates being blessed with loving God's Word. That as we do that, we'll find all sorts of rich blessings in areas of our lives, especially in our own fruitfulness and growth and righteousness. So, open your Bible to produce righteous action. I won't do justice to this last one because we're out of time, but open your Bible to produce pure religion. If anyone thinks he's... Watch the two things he deals with. He deals with your mouth and he deals with compassion toward needy people. He said, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart... This person's religion's worthless. Religion's, it's religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Whole package. Recent history, Christianity divided these two things into two camps. You have the social gospel, has a silent ist on it, socialist gospel, which is, which is all about social justice and rejects the moral tenets of the faith and any... Uh, any doctrine that calls for separateness from the world. And you have the evangelical gospel, which, tends, which, which has tended, it's not fair to, to blanket this, but has tended at times not to be as aggressive in caring for the needy and things like that, though those, at times that could be an unfair criticism, and has, has spiritualized the gospel as sort of personal inner, inner salvation. Well, we see here with James, he's saying a proper formulation of the gospel means one is both unstained by the world and aggressive in one's affection for people in need in the world. Both. No separation between the two. And I think modern evangelicalism has understood that pretty well, if not always acted on it well. <clears throat> I mean modern in the last 20 years or so. So our points here. I, I like these points, man. Because I can say, open your Bible! Open your Bible. Open your Bible to produce righteous reflexes. Right? I, I know in my life I've seen my reflexes aren't always what I want them to be. Right? Our gut reaction to life and the inputs that we receive. It'll produce righteous... In, in, we receive the implanted word meekness. It'll produce change. Open your Bible to produce righteous action. Be liberated from sin's enslaving power. We get into the Word in prayer and meditation upon it. Open your Bible to produce pure religion. That would have us be true, uh, uh, on the one hand, righteous people in the world, in that we're people who are devoted to the Lord and to purity and to righteousness, and devoted to the needs that we see everywhere around us. It would be people who, without hesitation, uh, take it as fact that those who are in need are, are our ministry, not someone else's ministry. We stand together and have our wonderful uh, trio come back. <clears throat> I want to pray with you. And uh, let me encourage you, as a, someone, uh, someone encouraged a prayer in me, not intentionally, but many years ago I've shared this story. 
where I realized I didn't love God's Word. I just realized it was a thing, and it existed, and I believed in it, and I studied it, but there was no love for it. And I began to... Oh, it was you? What are you doing? No. <laughs> I thought it was me. Um, and I, 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 began, I began to actively pray. This was many years ago. Pray that God would help me love His Word. You got a Bible with you? Or a phone with a Bible app on it? Grab it. Get it, get it in your hand. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't. <laughs> if you got one. If not, you can just pretend. Hold, hold, hold it to your heart. Squeeze it. And I want you to pray with me. Here, you can repeat after me. Dear Lord, give me a love for Your Word. Help me to love everything about it. Help me to love everything in it. Help me to love my time in it. Make it a part of who I am. Transform me by Your grace. Amen. 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 Let's worship the Lord together. Thanks for listening. We would love for you to join us for worship this Sunday in New City, New York. For details, go to SaviorCC.com. Woo!